Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of our Valentine's Day special episode, where our wives have curated side B of a mixtape featuring songs about falling in love. Welcome back. Welcome back. And again, the novelty of this is just incredible. I'm, I'm having so much fun. It's it's very, very cool to have a female point of view and to allow the wives to pick the songs. Yep. It's, um don't know that I would ever want to relinquish control like this ever again because it, <laughs> it feels very foreign. <laughs> but I, no, they, they did a great job on side A and I, I'm really looking forward to, to you know, putting this all together, hearing what the final playlist will sound like. There are only two two other type episodes where I would let someone else pick. One, it would be cool to have our children that would be cool. Pick a playlist. That would be cool. And the second would be a lot of li- the listeners. Well, yeah, and I put out a topic and let them populate. True, the and songs. I've, I've thought about that actually several times. Um, the kids, I would trust Ben. <laughs> I, ben Ben actually has incredible musical taste. Joel, you would be getting a whole lot of anime and video game soundtrack <laughs> soundtracks, which I mean, if you're going for that. Well, I think we'd have to tell them to stay in the Gen well, X. Yeah, we'd have to give him parameters. But then Joe, I think, would just bow out. I don't think he'd, he's, he's just not a music guy. Yeah. But Ben, Ben is, oh, Ben does love his 80s. That would be easy for him. But, um, all right, well, am I, I'm my first pick? Yeah, you go all first. Right. I'm going with a band that a lot of people would just think of as a one-hit wonder, which I guess by definition, they were a, a one-hit wonder. They had one hit. Um, but to me, they were one of the many alternative bands in the, uh, uh, early 90s. Um, we talked about Jim Blossom's last episode. Um, this would be a band that would also fit in that category. I'm talking about Crash Test Dummies. And I think most people remember the mmm song. <laughs> it was also featured in Dumb and Dumber. Right. Afternoons and Coffee Spoons, though, wasn't that a hit? As well? I know it was a single. I don't remember a hit. It might have might have hit. But. I don't know. I mean, we were in college at the time, so yeah, college yeah. radio. I, I don't know. But yeah, mmm, which is, just sounds like I'm yeah. You know, having a seizure on the microphone, but it, 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 um, man, that song was everywhere well, when yeah, it came out. It, it was it, huge. And they're kind of folky alternative, but their trademark, um, uh, Brad, I forget his last name, the front man, but, uh, his, oh. his characteristic bass oh, yeah. voice as a lead vocal is so, very oh, unusual. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, if you, if you, um, most people probably remember the mm song. This actually comes from the album um, before that, their debut album in 1991. And again, another artist that I first heard at WFAL. Yep. Because we were playing their first single, Superman song. Yeah. Which is a great song. Yeah. I haven't thought about that yeah. song in years. Yeah. It's wow. a great song. And because I mentioned it, we're going to put it on the mentioned songs list, on the playlist. Mm. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, and this, uh, the album is called uh, "The Ghosts That Haunt Me," as same as the title of the song. There's a skeleton in everybody's closet. I can think of one or two in my own room. But I would like to introduce them both to you. Shake their bony hands and so dispel the gloom. Cause you're so kind, I know you would not mind. Send away the ghosts that haunt me now. And things I fear just wouldn't seem so near. When I stroll out late at night, would be nothing rattling at my heels. song is a perfect example uh, of another song that I used on, on I think it might have been probably not the first one it was probably the third or fourth mixtape that I made for my wife um, who really got into the band afterwards mm. so it was kind of cool and she and by the way she would make tapes for me too as well and so um, you know she'd introduce me to music that, that she liked and, and so it's kind of a cool time in a relationship right where you kind of share each other's likes oh, yeah. and dislikes and find stuff that you didn't really know before um, I already mentioned, right, their first single was Superman's song. Um, but I, I, as much as I like that song, I like the song even better. Um, musically, I think it might be one of the band's high points. And then, of course, lyrically, they're great lyrically all over you know, the place. But um, this one is, is very simple but powerful, I think, in its sentiment. The idea that, you know, we talk about falling in love, and that means a lot of different things, Right. It, it, it's, it's a romantic feeling, right? But it's also, if you're looking for a companion, you know, someone who's going to be there for you. Um, we all start off with the initial romantic feelings, right? But if there's nothing beyond that, the relationship isn't going to last. Right. And so a healthy relationship is one in which you share your deepest, darkest fears, secrets, uh, things that keep you up at night. In this case, the ghost that haunts you, right? And so this song is basically reaching out. The, the narrator is reaching out to his partner saying, you know, uh, I need someone. I think this is the person. Uh, we, can, we can be that for each other, right? We can dispel the ghosts that haunt us by being a force together. I just like that sentiment. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I um, And, I, you know, off mic, I was talking to you. I, this is one of those songs... Crash Test Dummies, I, I mean, I remember them on FAL, and certainly I remember, mm, you know, but I, um, I, I, they're a band I've never listened closely to their lyrics. Um, I've always found them, I've always found them kind of unusual with the, with the bass lead, and, you know, I always found their music to be complex and a lot of fun, but I just never listened to the lyrics. So, yeah, I was totally off base on on this particular song. I thought it was about something entirely different. So, well, I just love it. You're gonna write a, a love song, and again, nothing wrong with silly love songs. To right. quote Paul McCartney, sure. But like Lennon, he would always find different ways to express um, right. love. And so, I think Crash Test Dummies um, did that as well here. Yeah, if you're gonna listen to any record, um, pick up their second record, which is God Shuffled His Feet. Yeah. And, I mean, you have songs about, like, Afternoons and Top Coffee Spoons, which is about getting old. Um, there's a song called When I Go Out with Artists, uh, where he names all these, like, 
people that he respects and he doesn't know what he would do if he actually got to hang out with them. There's one called How Does a Duck Know? And the lyric is How Does a Duck Know His Wife from All the Other Ducks? <laughs> and so a lot of them are what we today would call shower thoughts. Yeah. Right? He has a shower th- uh, thought and then writes a song around that. Yep. Yeah. No, that's a great explanation too. My wife and I caught them live one time at a summer concert uh, in about 1993 uh, up at Nautica. Hmm. When Nautica just opened recently in Cleveland, and a young Mia Jovovich opened up. She really? actually had, uh, had I don't know if she's had more, more than her de- debut album, but she did have a record. Yep. Oh, I remember when it came out. Yeah. 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 Hmm. The Divine Comedy, I think the name of it was. And so we left that concert um, as fans of her as well. We purchased her album, and that was another one that we liked listening to. In fact, I don't think I've listened to that album since the 90s, but it was solid. I, don't, I, I know she released... And now I've I've never heard it, yeah, so yeah, had to give it a listen. It's good, but at least um, it wasn't in the nineties. <laughs> Hopefully, it held up. <laughs> All right, your pick. All right, uh, this one's going to take a little bit longer, so you have to bear with me. Just I had a lot to say. Um, so did Gail. This is the, the longest of her explanations. Um, the song uh, to lead off here on side B is "Love in the Library" by Jimmy Buffett. On the corner of government and Bay Avenue The old doomsday fanatic wore a crown of kudzu Sirens were wailing in the Gulf Coastal heat And it seemed like the whole world was in forced retreat Paid no attention through the door past the newspaper racks on the worn marble floor near Civil War history my heart skipped a beat she was standing in fiction stretched high on bare feet love in the library quiet and cool Love in the library, there are no rules Surrounded by stories surreal and sublime I fell in love in the library once upon a time Gail, uh, in her explanation, her reasoning, she says This is my favorite Jimmy Buffett song It is so endearing, it's almost magical uh, Jimmy captures the innocence and wonder of falling in love with a breezy, whimsical song that leaves me enchanted and feeling happy. It may be the purest representation of falling in love I've ever heard in song. And maybe it is the intimacy of hushed voices or the mingling of public and private spheres or just the feeling of mysterious possibility that comes from being surrounded by so many books. But there really is something so romantic about libraries, is what she had to say. And... Why does everybody snicker then when I say I'm a librarian? I don't snicker. I'm, I'm jealous <laughs> as hell. I want your job, but I um no the library. I mean, there is it's 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 a magical place. Yeah. You know, I've I've always felt that way, and yeah. So Gail and I are on the same page a lot of the time, and um, definitely this is her favorite Buffett song. It's it's without question my favorite song on Fruitcakes. Is it really? Oh yeah, I like it a lot, but I yeah, think, I don't I, know if it's my favorite on the yeah, album. Yeah, on on Fruitcakes is my favorite favorite track um 
So let, I just want I I just want to justify Buffett for a moment because Buffett still remains one of those artists that a lot of people scoff at, argue that he's not not a great musician. And well, on top of that, he has we talked about like Tom Petty and John Mellencamp not having huge followings. Oh, Buffett. With Buffett not being commercial in a traditional sense on the charts. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, you know, his fan base. Cult is, following. Yeah. They can't even call it that because it's so huge. But. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and here's the thing I mean, he's famous now as the shallow and demi spiritual leader of the Parrotheads, right? Um, but Jimmy Buffett has also written some of the most beautiful songs of the late 20th century. And he was born on the coast of the Gulf of Mexico in Pascagoula, Mississippi. He lived in various places. He flirted with several colleges around the Gulf before double majoring in history and journalism. Uh, he has held many jobs, many titles. He was a yachty, a musical journalist, very early in his career. These on-the-ground experiences, I think, give Buffett's songs the heft and complexity of real life. And his, his early work really couldn't be more different from the pie-in-the-sky escapism and costumey casualness of you know, 2022's Hawaiian shirt Buffett. Um, for more than 50 years, he's taken the stage. He's entertained multitudes from Mobile, Alabama to Paris, France. Um, and in our glance, I mean, it's the party atmosphere that draws the people. The festivity is the stuff of legend and, I mean, a melange of, of bright colors and hedonism. And Buffett is one of Mardi Gras' leading ambassadors to the world, really. But here's the thing. Beneath the carnival surface, you will find songs that just drip of sentiment. I, it, the stories and the characters in Buffett's songs, they mean everything to his rabid fan base. And the characters he introduces are presented with an unparalleled sensitivity that, that most songwriters do not and cannot convey. People connect, I think, with the characters and their complexities. And Buffett even said once, he remarked, once your feelings become a song, they don't belong to you anymore. They belong to all those people who identify with it. Um, a majority of these characters are semi-autobiographical. Uh, they are Buffett's own experiences accompanied by a six-string guitar. And they very nearly are. I mean, Buffett has, you know, the Caribbean flair. He has the country music. And then he has just those really emotive ballads where it's just he accompanied by the guitar and he just tells incredible stories. Well, the stories come from his country background. And they do. Yeah. yeah, they do. But, I mean, it really is that there are three kind of subdivisions. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Definitely. You know, in, yeah. in the way that Buffett records. There's part of, well, and that's why he divided his box set into I, yeah. bars, beaches, boats, and ballads. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, most of his songs, they are semi-autobiographical. Um, they're, they, these songs, you know, they're not about, the songs that aren't about him are always about people that he has known, you know, as well. I mean, Captain Tony, great example. I mean, he's, he basically... He pays loving tribute to everyone who has touched his heart and made him think, which I, I think is just fantastic. But Love in the Library is a great example. Um, it, it Again, it comes from the 1994 album Fruitcakes. It is my wife's favorite Buffett song. Yes, we are unabashedly proud parrot heads. We've seen him in concert I don't know how many times, the both of us. Buffett has only played Love in the Library one time in hmm. concert. Yeah? Yeah, it was in May of 1994, only one time. Um, which is really a shame because this song would be an incredible encore, I think, one of them, anyway. Buffett has said it is a fond remembrance. This song, he says, is a fond remembrance of his days as a young man. He was a fan of Civil War and Gulf Coast history, and he would go daily and study in the library. He said mainly because it was air-conditioned, and he wanted to escape the sweltering heat of Mobile, Alabama. But make no mistake, 
there was also a cute librarian with whom he was smitten. Okay, so I mean, very nearly every line of the song is, you know, it, it, it is a memory that, that you know, it, it's a true story. But Buffett is also credited as mother, who was an avid reader. He said she wanted him to read so that he could see the world as a bigger place when he grew up, um, or see the world as a bigger place than where he grew up. And, and Buffett said it was one of the greatest gifts she ever gave him. Uh, she turned him on to reading, and reading turned him on to writing. Uh, his love of Mark Twain and Flannery O'Connor is the stuff of legend, and Buffett said he always found himself in libraries. He was just drawn in, and he continues to romanticize libraries still today. And of course, now you can find his own written works on he's the shelves. He's written a novel, he's written a, several, sh- well, not a novel, an autobiography, and uh, a short story collection. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Buffett, he brought in his friend Mac McNally, um, and is a co-writer for a number of of times uh, through the years. And the songs that McNally joins him with, they always seem prettier and more timeless sounding than the ones around them on on Buffett's albums. McNally helped Buffett write this one, uh, just an ode to literary romance, and the track is better for it. And, you know, hell, when when a contemporary song mentions Gustave Flaubert, (laughs) then the writer knows a thing or two about the literary world. I just, this song, I, I think Gil spot on it, it's just enchanting it's so simple and so pure and it's I, it's just a beautiful song it is so. no, I agree I agree um, yeah you know I can only think of one other band that has a huge huge following without having commercial crossover the, the dead dead yeah, yeah. yeah. fish maybe well fish but to but, an extent but they don't, they don't tour I don't think anymore do well, they I, I don't know I mean, the Don't Dead and Buffett tour every year and have done right. so, well, the Dead since the 60s, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Jimmy Buffett since, uh, since the 70s, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you're right, I, they, the two of them are just, you know, the, the fans just, they're multi-generational, they just keep coming, and yeah, there's no, there is no commercial success, not yeah. really. I mean, he had a few singles in the 70s. Right, and I, and now he's he's gotten on the charts with the help of various other country well, yeah, artists. Right. But but it's, well, on the country charts anyway. But Maybe maybe Dave Matthews Band a little bit, because they had a couple hits in the 90s, and people just, you know, love seeing him live. Yeah, I could see that. But not like the dead, you know. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, I, well, and you know, I've said time and time again, when, when we talk about Rock Hall snubs, Jimmy Buffett is one of those artists that I just, he deserves to be in the Rock and Roll of Fame. He just does. And whenever I say that, I, I see so many eye rolls, you know. I, people just see him as being, I, I think a lot of people see him as being talentless and just kind of thriving on, on just this Hawaiian escapism or, or the right. Keys escapism. Um, I always find it interesting that it's a Hawaiian shirt in the keys, but <laughs> but nonetheless, it's he is actually he is a storyteller, and it's it's just you know I, for whatever reason I I don't know I don't I doubt he will ever well, make it into the he deserves hall. to be in there as much as Kiss oh yeah because Kiss is in there I think more because of what they not only the merchandising obviously have been done before but really them taking the merchandising to the next level mm-hmm. um, you know, creating this again this fan base because of the uniqueness of the characters that they portray so um, I think that would be be similar but um, yeah yeah I just I don't know he's one of those artists that I don't think will ever make it but see I think he will the same reason Kiss did really? because you think he's so? created this this whole mm-hmm. 
it's almost a genre in and of itself, right? The Jimmy Buffett genre. What well, is? Has its own XM station. Think about all the other XM stations, like Joel and Pearl Jam. Um, they have temporary ones with the Joel and Tom Petty. And there's a U2 one now. All of those are Hall of Fame yeah, ones. Bowie, They're all Hall of Fame. Bowie, Beatles, all Springsteen, yeah. There. So I think he'll get there. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, it, it might be later. It might be 20 years from now when a whole other generation looks back. I mean, that happens sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. You'll get someone that was overlooked. Yep, I, I think he certainly deserves it. So, all right, your turn. Cool. All right, here's one that does not fall on the Venn diagram <laughs> between my wife and I, and I'm not going to make the fun of the not going to make fun of the song like I did on with "Wind Beneath My Wings" <laughs> with Dave. I still, I still, he's so gracious. He said he wasn't offended. I was, I was so mean to that song. Wait, it was just so funny because your pick from Wicked. There's not a whole lot of difference between the two songs in it. Yeah, but one's Broadway. Oh, okay, okay. And so Broadway has different rules than, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it's so sad. How you doing, Zabe? I'm, I, 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 I have to assume you're listening, so Dave uh, still feels bad. I, st- I do, I as, do. I as still he should. feel so. bad. This is a song that my wife likes a lot. Now, my wife had <clears throat> something I wish I would have had growing up, a satellite dish. mm her parents got a satellite dish. They lived out in the country, so they could put it. They one of the huge ones, not not Direct TV, by the way. These are the the really big satellite dishes that people started to buy in the early '80s, um, and I think they probably got it because they lived at that time it was so remote they probably couldn't get cable, so they had to get the satellite dish. What was great was originally nothing was scrambled, mm-hmm. and so she tells me they got hundreds which doesn't sound like a lot today, but back then was, hundreds of channels from all around the world. Like they would get soap operas in Spanish that she would record and then take into Spanish class for extra, extra points, you know? Hmm. And so she just saw all these shows and movies, a lot of stuff that I hadn't seen before. And um, she, a lot of those then brought out music that she liked, okay? So here's a good example. She loved the movie, um, which was Chances Are, with Robert Downey Jr. Jr., Sybil Shepherd. And Sybil Shepherd. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so this is the song from that movie from Cher and Peter Cetera. It's called After All. It came out in 1989. And it's on Cher's record, Heart of Stone. Forever you and me 
it's one of my wife's favorite from the 80s, especially, like I say, since she liked that movie. The song, I mean, it was well-received. It was nominated for an Oscar for, for Best Music uh, com- music Composed for uh, uh, a Movie. And then it went to number six on Billboard. Now, the song itself is very, very romantic, adult, contemporary. <laughs> very much. And I've really made my views um, known on, on that genre. But, um, I mean, the 80s production, the synthesizers, the epic strings, it's all a little too much on the nose for me. But I'm a snob, right? Um, but I understand the nostalgic appeal to it. And I don't think, my, my wife would, would, would say that she likes it now for the nostalgic reasons. Like she understands that it's very dated in its sound. Um, so I, I, I have, don't have a lot to say when I like, you know, like Kiss is very nostalgic for me. And what we just talked about, they're not necessarily on the talent level as other artists, but, you know, I grew up liking Kiss, and so I'll always defend them for that. Right. And so I think that's where it falls with, with Peter Cetera for her. I'm sure. Well, I would tell you what, Gail loved this pick. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I, Gail and I, I just got done saying that we're on the same page musically often. Not always. <laughs> not always. Gail loves, loves Cher. She has always been a Cher fan. Um, so when when she saw this on Barry's list, I mean, she just gushed. And, yeah. and I'm like, okay. Well, <laughs> no, this is one of those I'm songs. Just, I'm like, uh, You can tell it was, ri- it was written by somebody in Nashville and probably shopped around. Right. And then they thought it was perfect for the movie. Then they got two stars to sing the duet. I imagine it's the same thing for like when beneath my wings. And, oh yeah. Uh, what was the song from Officer and a Gentleman? Uh, Up where uh, we belong. Up where we belong. Or the song from Dirty Dancing. I mean, it's it's kind of a trope in and of itself, right? Right. Where you know you have the song and exists, and then you cherry pick two people to sing it that are hot at that time to promote the movie. So, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. But now, Gail, she loves Cher, and she, I. I I, I will give props to Cher. I mean, she definitely has earned her her place in the in the annals of of rock and roll. But I I just don't see it. I, mean, I she's never. I, I'm just not a Cher fan, right. I guess. But yeah, Gail saw this on Barry's list. And well, she good, was good. Very excited. Maybe it maybe it's included. a woman thing. Maybe I, I don't know, but. Um, I mean, do you do you get requests at weddings for this a lot when you DJ? No, no, no. I know in, in all the years I've DJed, no one has ever requested share. And well, no, I did have a I got you, babe. Oh, okay. I got wow. Maybe once or twice, but that's it. I mean, no one has ever requested share. The only um, modern song I like from her is that uh, the one where she uses auto tune. Do you believe in love? Yeah. I mean, she uses it as an instrument. No, no, I, I, I do what you meant. She, she overuses it so right. that she has that robotic no. type sound. Yeah, no, it's just funny. That, like T-Pain. Just funny the way you came out with it. <laughs> the one I like by her is the one where she auto-tunes. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's got a good voice. She does, yeah. No, I I agree. Um, and certainly in the 70s, she was hot. But uh, I don't mean physically. Beauty, yeah, she dated everyone from no, Gene Simmons to Greg Allman. Right. To, but uh, but it, what I mean is her career. Oh, no. Her career was like huge in the 70s and she was she was a mainstay on, on right. the hot 100 but yeah. um yeah i don't know she was she was very happy so you can let barry know she had i will I she will had she had gail support so <laughs> all right but i digress gail and i are often on the same page which is very evident in her next pick i uh, just got done talking about buffett who is one of our uncles and now i'm going to talk about another uncle this one 
Billy Joel. Two uncles. I feel like we need to have Springsteen just so we can make the trifecta here. Yeah. Gil likes Springsteen. She does not love Springsteen. So that, that was not going to happen. <laughs> so, But she loves, loves Billy Joel. Um, she went with The Longest Time uh, from An Innocent Man, 1983, hit number 14. This is her reasoning. She said, I love the line, if you said goodbye to me tonight, there would still be music left to write. She said, it is proof positive that falling in love forever changes you. Even if you do not stay with your new love, if it is true love, they will always have a place in your heart. Plus, it is one of my forever earworms. It randomly pops into my head out of nowhere, constantly. She says that when she's at work, the longest time just pops into her head. Mm. So, um, and honestly, this is the one I would have went with too. I mean, you, if you're going to use Billy Joel, I mean, this not this one. night. No, a little, too, a little too melodramatic. Well, I'm going to talk this night though. It's in here. <laughs> I'm going to talk this night. I, no, I would either go the longest time, or if you want a more solemn uh, pick, leave it under, and so it goes. Perhaps. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, no, so I, you know, I I tried to figure out because I was uh, looking at her pick, and I'm thinking. I, I, I agree, but what can I say about Billy Joel that we haven't already said about Billy Joel? I feel like we've discussed the man, you know, ad infinitum. But here, here's kind of where I went with this. First of all, this is an eminently hummable and unforgettable melody, <laughs> okay, which is true of very nearly everything on An Innocent Man, uh, which makes it one of Billy Joel's most popular albums still today. And The Longest Time, you know, it may be the most enduring of all these tunes. It's considered next to acapella. I didn't even know that was a genre or that was a, like a label, next to acapella. You ever, have you ever heard of that before? Hmm. I found that online and I was like, well, okay, that's a new new term for me. Yeah, I'm me. trying to think. What, it is pretty bare bones. Yeah, well, it, it contains one actual instrument. Bass? The bass guitar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, bass guitar. Everything else is voice, finger snaps, and, and claps. Uh, the song is, of course, a tribute to the doo-wop sounds of the 50s that Joel loved. It, it you know, it's complete with lyrics about being crazy in love with a girl. And the lyrics are some of the most optimistic and upbeat that Joel has ever penned. You know, I don't care what consequence it brings. I've been a fool for lesser things. I want you so bad. I think you ought to know that I intend to hold you for the longest time. In some of his other ballads since Turnstiles, there's always that undercurrent of dread with Billy Joel. That few, Just these feelings that, that, you know, love cannot last forever. For example, in This Is The Time. From the bridge. He says, this is the time to remember because it will not last. Well, he was right forever. about that. Well, yeah, he was. Um, but in the longest time, you know, here, Billy Joel is willing to put aside 
his doubts of how much further we'll go on and he just he basks in the feelings of love and understandable since it was written for a new girlfriend and supermodel Christy Brinkley at the time you know um, which did not last but and he sings all the parts on this by yeah, the way yeah every part yeah uh, he did all the tracks himself uh, which actually it required him to cover a lot of range uh, the original plan I guess was to bring in a vocal group to sing with him but it just didn't work out and Phil Ramone told Billy Joel that their best option was for him to do it all himself and Joel was really hesitant because he didn't want all the voices to sound like they had come from the same person. So he kind of envisioned himself as various characters and gave them different vocal styles. Um, he told Sirius XM in 2016 that he did what he calls method singing. So he imagined himself as a skinny Italian kid from Newark. And then he did another voice and he imagined himself as a big black football player, he said. And then uh, with, a, with a deep you know, bass voice, he said then he thought of himself as a Pat Boone kind of singer. He said he, he mixed all these voices together so it didn't all sound like one guy. But when the song was released in 83, it became an instant hit among choirs and acapella groups. The song reached number 14 on the charts and it is still frequently performed by school groups. This was basically Glee material before there was Glee. Right. Um, so, case in point, the song got a lot of airplay in Philadelphia, where Joel was always a very popular artist. It was even played on soul stations there. And the song became a favorite of a group of guys who would later form the vocal group Boys to Men. Mm, interesting. When Howard Stern, I guess, uh, Howard Stern, he hosted a Billy Joel Town Hall special in 2014. Boys to Men were there and they performed The Longest Time in Tribute. And they said that they that they basically explained that when they were going to high school, most of the selections for the acapella groups that they were in were basically just much, much older songs. But they said this one, Billy Joel, was not only the most contemporary song they could find, it's it was it just they felt cool when when singing it. So, you know, it may be surprising to some of them that this song actually began as a classical piano piece. Joel was working on, uh, at that time, even as early as that time, he was still already kind of in process of making what would become his one classical mm -hmm. CD uh, or album, I suppose, but I think record vinyl was kind of off the market at that point for a while. That's also how Lullaby, Good, Good Night My Angel, came about. It started out as a classical piece as well. That does not mean, though, that there is no classical music to be found on An Innocent Man, because a second doo-wop track titled This Night... There we go. Yep, it's coming. Um, this Night actually uses a familiar classical tune as its backbone. Uh, the basis of that song's chorus uses the melody and harmony of the second movement of Beethoven's 1798 sonata, Pathetique, uh, otherwise known as Piano Sonata Number no. 8. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's... I will say... Um, that an innocent man a lot of people think he jumped the shark with an innocent man I've never felt that way because an innocent man was just him paying tribute to the artist that he grew yeah. up oh, yeah. you know, listening to it's just paying it was an homage basically but still to me it, it this song especially is just fascinating because who would have thought that an acapella song with almost no instrumentation could be a hit in the 80s among all the new wave and synthesizer music that was coming out. At that the was time. the 80s. We talked about this. I know, like, right? Anything went. Anything goes, yeah. But I also think it's a testament to the fact that a good melody, it, it will captivate listeners of all ages in any era. I, I just think that's true. There's always room for a good melody. So, um, Speaking of, of, of Beethoven, so <clears throat> I was in church 
about this time, so it would have been 80, what, 83, 84. And the piano player at the service, I don't know if it was during communion or what, starts playing this melody. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's playing Billy Joel's this night. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's cool. I thought he was the coolest guy. <laughs> then later on, I found out that the right. melody came from Beethoven. Yeah. Still pretty cool. <laughs> Still pretty cool. So, yeah, no, I, I was, I was really happy that you know Gil, Gil, Gil snuck in not only one but two of the uncles. So I was, I was happy with their list. Actually, I'm, I'm very happy with their list. There's still a lot of good stuff to come. So yeah, I mean, how do I say it? It's it, it's definitely a nostalgic sound, but I think the song remains timeless mm-hmm. because it was produced so well. No, no instruments that make it feel dated other than the obvious homage to do what music. Right. Know? No. Agreed. All right. So my next one. Okay. So I shouldn't have anything to say about my wife liking Sharon Peter Cetera when she and I agree on this next song. <laughs> it's by Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. 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 Came out in 1980 from Xanadu. And the song is Suspended in Time. I love Olivia Newton-John. I, I do. And Xanadu is a cult film that I enjoy for obvious reasons. It's, you know, so bad it's good. I get it. I was just really surprised that you picked this one. It, it, this, I mean, when we talk obscurity, this one is like beautiful. It is like the biggest dark horse I think you have yeah. ever brought. Well, she did. Well, I did. Well, yeah, it's the biggest yeah. dark horse that anyone has ever brought to our mixtapes. Really? You yeah. I... I can't think of a song that is so, I can't think of a song by a major artist that would be so not known hmm. as this particular track. It's a great song. Yeah. I, I was just really impressed with this. Well, um, 
my wife wanted to pick her favorite song from the whole movie from the soundtrack is uh, Don't Walk Away mm-hmm. which is the Don Bluth animated sequence but um, it didn't fit Fall in Love it's kind of the opposite so we kind of talked about it and uh, we also used Suddenly for last year's yeah. Valentine's when episode we, and we used Magic for the Magic so, episode so. yeah so even in, in her choices it was not ranked number one but you're right it's, it's a song that's overlooked so I already talked about how my wife had that satellite dish. Um, one of, and, and of course, she was one of the early ones to have a VCR, so she would record all this stuff, um, and they'd watch it over and over. Her and her sister would watch. So Chances Are was one of those movies they watched over and over and over again. Xanadu is another example of that, that they watched when they were young. I, on the other hand, had the Xanadu soundtrack because I loved the music, but I had never seen the movie because I didn't have a VCR, I didn't have a satellite dish, and I was too young when it came to the theater. So it wasn't until much later, it might have been when I actually met my wife, um, that I actually saw the movie itself. Um, the song is used at the point in the film when Olivia Newton-John's character, Kira, realizes how she feels about her human assignment. Visually, the song is pretty basic. In the movie, she's kind of just singing with this kind of digital, 80s digital background. But... The song, I think, is, is strong enough to allow for that, to allow for Living Newton-John just to basically perform this song and nothing else really going on during mm-hmm. it. The, uh, the Xanadu soundtrack was unique in that one side contains all the songs that uh, contrib- were contributed by Yellow, and the flip side are songs by Living Newton-John, The Tubes, uh, Cliff Richards, Gene Kelly, all the other artists. So it's funny, because as a kid, I loved the Yellow side. Right. You know? I uh, mean, yeah. that's... But... Um, in fact, I probably listened to the ELO side 90% of the time. Once in a while, I flip it over, and the, the tubes and the Gene Kelly thing, you know, was kind of interesting. And this song I probably skipped over because it was slow and, and it was a ballad. But now I can appreciate a great melody, mm-hmm. a great song. Absolutely. Yeah, I, um, I saw Zan do it in the theater. But the reason I saw Zan do it in the theater is because. Olivia Newton-John was my dad's free pass. Mm. He was in love with Olivia. And literally, when he was flipping through the channels, if Grease was on one of the TV stations, we had to stop everything we were doing because <laughs> he it. was going to not only watch Grease, he was going to make me sit down and watch Grease with him. So he was in love. He had every one of her albums. Um, and I, that's why I... That's probably in large part why I, I so enjoy Olivia Newton-John. It just... I grew up listening to her and watching her because my dad was like in love with her. But um, now this one, I, I was just really, like I said, I was just really impressed because it's such a, I, it's a song I never thought would come to the table yeah. on, on one of our episodes. It's just, and it is, it's a fantastic melody. So yeah, I, I was really, really, really impressed. So and, and to me, I mean, it may be a little bit dated with some of the strings, but overall it's pretty much just a vocal track. Mm-hmm with some kind of subtle music behind it, so, you know. Yeah, All right. no, fantastic. All. Mm-hmm. all right, well, here is Gail's ninth. Uh, she picked uh, I Could Fall In Love by Selena.
She said, I picked this song because, in my opinion, it is the epitome of what this playlist is all about. And Selena's voice is so rich and beautiful. She truly was an incredible artist. It is so sad what happened to her. She was already huge in the Latino community, but she could have been so much more. The road lost an immeasurable talent the day she was murdered, is what Gail had to say about Selena. I had. I really don't know a whole lot about Selena. I, I just, you know, which I mean, makes... I, I, everything you said, that's that's the extent of what I know oh, right. until I listened to the song this right. week. Right. I, um, you know, I knew she was huge and I knew that she had just recorded her first English uh, language tracks. I remember when this was on the radio and then I remember she was murdered. But I, you know, I... I wasn't listening to Selena. She was not in my wheelhouse of, right. of artists. You it's, know? A, it's, it's a good so song. It, it really is. So I, you know, I, I learned a lot about Selena in, in the last week. Um, I Could Fall in Love uh, was recorded by Selena. She was an American Tejano singer. Um, it was for her fifth studio album, Dreaming of You. And it was released posthumously by EMI Latin on June 15th, 95. I Could Fall in Love and Two Solo Two were the album's, I guess, lead promotional recordings. And it was her first English language song to ever, you know, be played on the radio. Um, and really just her first English language songs, plural. Uh, this was the album that was going to feature anything recorded uh, in English. And it really uh, show. it was meant to showcase her musical transition, really, from Spanish language to English language songs. Um, she, uh, well, take a step back. The, the lyrics, they explored the feelings of heartbreak and despair and expressed the singer's fear of rejection by a man she finds herself falling in love with. Um, and composed by Keith Thomas, I Could Fall in Love. I mean, it, it's a pop ballad with R&B, soul, and soft rock influences. And it's pretty straightforward, and it, it, to me, it, it, this is another one, it sounds squarely adult contemporary, but it wasn't. Which which tells you a no it was it was yeah nineties right nineties yeah, it was nineties nineties pop music yeah exactly but today hearing it that that's that's the avenue that I, I kind of lean toward because it just has a lot of that AC yeah sure you know yeah a lot it. of that AC sound critics praised Selena's emotive enunciation and compared it to work by Celine Dion Brandy Norwood and TLC it received the Tejano Music Award for the Tejana crossover song of the year. And the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers uh, recognized it at, at the ASCAP uh, Pop Music Awards as one of the most performed songs of 95. Because of the recording's composition structure and the singer's vocalization, OC Weekly, BuzzFeed, Neon, Tommy, and Latina Magazine all believed that I Could Fall in Love was one of the best songs recorded by Selena in her entire musical career. Um, which, yeah, there's some heavy titles there you know um 
the track was not, this is what I found so interesting, the track was not released as a commercial single in the United States because it was feared that it would sell more copies than the album itself. Hmm. So it was only releases a promotional single. It peaked at number eight on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 Airplay chart, and it was number one on the Canadian RPM Adult Contemporary chart. Uh, it did reach the top ten on the singles charts of Canada and New Zealand, and it became the most played song in Kansas City, Miami, and Boston, and the second most played in Los Angeles. Why would it matter if the single sold more than the record? I don't Plus, know. Plus, they're going to encourage more record sales exactly. if they like That's the whole I, point of a single. Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. EMI Latin, for whatever reason, they did not want to release it as a single because it, that it was proved, stupid. Yeah, it proved so huge that they thought people would buy that and forego the album. Oh, I see. I see. They did that because they wanted them to buy the entire record. Right, yeah, exactly. Instead of putting out a single. Yeah. So, basically... What it comes down to, though, it, the song, it, it was released posthumously, and it received a music video of the year nomination in 96 as well. I Could Fall in Love became one of Selena's most famous and recognizable recordings, and in the 90s, it became a popular wedding song. Uh, cover versions include recordings by Adrian uh, Ballone, Jennifer Lopez, Gloria Estefan, a number of people have recorded it. Uh, it is widely believed that had she not been murdered in 95, Selena was on track to become the best-selling Latin artist in history. Hmm. And it is also believed, and music critics have been saying this ever since, that had EMI Latin released I Could Fall In Love as a single, uh, and had it debuted in the top 40 of the Billboard Hot 100 chart, which they believe, everyone believes it would have, it would have been the first posthumous debut single to do so since Pledging My Love by Johnny Ace in 1955. Mm. So, sadly, neither was allowed to happen. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I knew nothing about Selena, so Gail gave me an opportunity yeah, to do I some... Yeah, I just learned a lot. Some research, yeah. Um, but I, I guess, I mean, I knew she was big. I, did, I guess I didn't realize how big. Well, I knew she was big in the Latin community. Right, Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. But Gail said at the time, because she picked the song, and I'm like... I don't even know that I've heard this song. And she said, you've heard this song. And I, and I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, this was everywhere. She said, basically, Selena was, she was about to become, according to Gail, she was about to become bigger than Whitney, bigger than Madonna. I mean, she was about mm-hmm. to make that step. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But she, yeah, reading everything that I read in the last week, she was huge. So there you go. Cool. All right, now here's the big one. Here's the big one. This is this is my wife and I's favorite band. I've talked about Indigo Girls um, many times on the show. And they're kind of like crash test dummies in the way that there's really, they, they don't really hit anything on the nose. Um, it, a lot of it's buried in layers and metaphor and so forth. And they have a lot of songs about breakups and, <laughs> and, and um, you know, just not a whole lot about just straight falling in love. Yeah, I, a lot of them, so much in their music is about just self-introspection. Yes, a lot of you know, that is, it, yeah. It's, um, um, which I love, but yeah. I, I saw I saw the Indigo Girls were there, and I'm like, what song do they have about falling in love? So, Well, originally, I think um, she was going to pick uh, Power of Two, which is what we used for our wedding dance song. But in talking it over, it's more of a, a mature love, like a relationship that is been tested and true mm-hmm. as opposed to, to newer so she went with all the way and I'm glad she did because I've talked about how I feel that the um, 
2000s Indigo Girls, especially during 2000 up to like 2010, that's the strongest part of their career. was written by Emily Sailors, who is the more melodic force of the band, whereas Amy Ray is kind of the punk rock conscience of the band. And it's funny because they, you think the two wouldn't, wouldn't work together, but they really, really do. Uh, a lot of the albums are actually structured every other. So there's an Emily song and an Amy song, and they both complement each other. So when Amy gets a little bit harder and shows her influences like um, Husker Du and, and The Replacements, Emily does a nice job supporting that. And Emily writes primarily, not always, but primarily the, the, the great ballads. And again, Amy's able to support that. So I think that's what really makes the, the duo kind of unique and the fact that they share things equally. Um, Hall & Oates, of course, Oates did a, did a lot in the band, but everyone just thinks of Daryl Hall because he was the vocalist, right? Yeah. Um, same with uh, Simon Garfunkel, was, you know? I was going to say, yeah, art. <laughs> but yeah. the, they really can't really pick a dominant indigo girl, right? They're, they're both um, right there at, in the forefront. Um, this song is, is simple, one of their more simple ter- lyrically, um, but soaring in its hook, real great melody. And just, in my mind, simply top-notch stuff, just really good indie folk rock. Um, great example of what they did later in their career. Um, my wife and I have seen them more than any other act uh, over the years, um, at least a dozen times we've seen them. That many? Um, we've seen them wow. in bigger venues. Um, we've seen them in smaller venues. We've had tickets that we couldn't go to because there was a death in the family. I think that happened twice. But basically, any time they come through, we, we see them. We've even seen them solo, uh, separately, yeah, uh, all over the place. Just, just this is this is the wheelhouse for for my wife and I, and um, just can't say enough about it. Did you did you like this song? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've I've always I've always liked the Indigo Girls. I mean, the '80s and uh, early '90s, I loved the work. I, I owned their first. I think three or four albums, but it, it, I just let them go. I just, it's not that I lost interest. I just, for whatever reason, they just fell off my radar, you know? Um, and you've just, you stayed right there with them. Everything that you've played for me, um, by them, you know, since that, that time, I've loved it. And I should modify what I said. Um, I mean, my, my two favorite albums came from the nineties. So, I mean, it's not like the two thousands replaced that, like, um, Swamp Ophelia is one of my top 10 favorites mm-hmm. of all time. Um, and um, Rite of Passage, which came out right before that, is incredible. Um, so those are my two favorite. But it just, 
I guess I'm so impressed that they continued to evolve. You know, they didn't, you know, continue doing the same thing over and over again. They still have their genre, right? They still have their style, but they just continued to grow musically and their music became more complex and a lot more interesting. So, um, yeah, Nine Juice were still great. I'm not dismissing that at all. Now, some of their newer stuff is, is kind of hit or miss, but that happens with, I mean, that happens with the artists, um, artist. yeah. Springsteen especially, you know. Yep. So. Yeah, and I've, I saw the Indigo Girls live twice, both in the 90s. Um, now, I've always liked them. They just, yeah. I, in fact, I get excited whenever you do throw them on because it's it's, it's kind of neat to hear where they where they went, you know. Um, I just haven't had time or I, for whatever reason, I just haven't looked them up, you know, the newest work by them on my own. So Now, they always write separately. That's their thing. They, they, will, they write separately, and then when they go to record a record, they each bring like six songs, seven songs or whatever. And then they kind of arrange them together. And they figure out the back vocal and the supporting guitar parts and so forth. So they're 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 together in that aspect, but they always kind of write the song um, on their own. Hmm. But they tried to experiment. I think it was it was it, the results were fine. Um, there was an album. I think it's close to right, probably right after this, maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, it was called uh, what was the name of the record? Poseidon and the Bitterbug was the name of it. And that one, they wrote all the songs together. Hmm. And it's 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 different. Like there are a lot of chords that are unusual chords, and and I mean it just it's it's very good, but it's it it's different. It's like when you take peanut butter and chocolate separately, they have their own taste, right? If you combine them together into a Reese's cup, it, it's a different flavor. It still right. has elements of both, but it's different. But yeah, that's the only album where they tried that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, song number ten. Uh, here we go. Um, this one is by Janet Jackson. comes from her self-titled uh, album from 1993. It hit number one on the Hot 100. The name of the song is Again. Gail's explanation, she said, I picked this song because it is gut-wrenching. She said, this is the song that details expertly what it means to fall in love when you know you will be hurt, when you know it will not work out, but you know you cannot stay away. She said, it's tragic, but it's gorgeous. Plus, she said, I loved the movie too, because who does not love Janet Jackson and Tupac? is what she said, uh, the movie being Poetic Justice. 
again, I guess, is the song that closes uh, the movie Poetic Justice. I've never seen it. Mm, um, neither have I. Yeah, I've, I've never seen it. I remember when it came out and the critics critics loved it. I, I just... I've, you just described it. Well, you just described my relationship with food. <laughs> what? You know? Because oh, at, least, at least junk food, right? Because oh, okay. you I can't stay away. Yeah, I see. But it's always going to let you down in the yeah. long run. No. <laughs> That was a metaphor I did not see coming. <laughs> so, um, okay, so yeah, th- this Janet Jackson, James Harris III, and Terry Lewis penned ballad. It was the third single release from Jackson's self-titled fifth album. Uh, it was her seventh number one on the Hot 100. It spent two weeks on top of the chart. Uh, Harris is better known, I guess, as Jimmy Jam. And he uh, said that Jackson was very receptive to their musical ideas, um, which were all over the map. He said that uh, she would be happy to work on dance or funk songs, often with samples that they would introduce to her. And then um, she would sit down at a piano and she would do something simple like, again. Um, this was the closing song, as I said, from the film Poetic Justice. Um, it starred Janet Jackson. Um, it received a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Original Song that year, but it was beaten by Bruce Springsteen's Streets of Philadelphia. Mm. Great song. Yeah, so that took home the the Oscar. Has anyone seen Janet Jackson since her brother died? Um, uh, <laughs> there's that whole conspiracy that right. they're the same person. I, oh, I remember her Rock <laughs> Hall introduction. She refused to perform because HBO was... Um, the, the Rock Hall induction is always on HBO, right, and right. HBO had just released the documentary oh, about her, gotcha. about Michael. Yeah, um, yeah. But that I think that's the last time I saw mm-hmm. Janet Jackson was accepting her nomination into uh, the Rock Hall. Yeah, I don't know where she's where she's been. Maybe she's recorded. I, I yeah. don't know. I'm not a Janet Jackson fan particularly. Um, I, I guess a French version of this song was also recorded by Jackson, and it's included on the CD single. Um, but the only other thing that I can say, I, you know, it, it's it's a song that Gil loves, and when she played it for me, I totally get it. You know, this it it it, it just following the story because it's it is it's a fantastic story. Uh, an old flame is back in town who had hurt her previously. She says, I'm not going to let myself fall for him again. And then she can't not fall for yeah, him no, again. That's a, cool, and then, that's a cool premise. Then he leaves her again. Yeah, I mean, it's, I get the, the gut-wrenching, you know, part of it. And yeah, it, it, it's different interpretation and different uh, representation of falling in love. So again, I think she did a fantastic job picking the song. I just, just not a particularly a, a Janet Jackson fan, but it was, I think it's a good, Good contribution to the list. So, your cool. turn. All right, my next one, or her next one, is by the Carpenters. We had to get the Carpenters on there. And this, this is going to be the hardest one to sequence on the mixtape. <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking about this nonstop. Like, where do the Carpenters fit in with all the other? Because it's so, what's well, so Carpenters? <laughs> so, well, she became a fan of the Carpenters again because she had recorded on her VCR that I didn't have. Um, the there was a miniseries in the '80s about the Carpenters. There was, mm-hmm. and and, and uh, it's funny. I, I think I got interested in music history because of miniseries. Like I remember there was a miniseries about John Lennon. It was called, it was called the John and Yoko a Love Story. I remember like that '87, '80, yeah, something yeah. like that. I remember that. That got me into John Lennon, which I mean, I was already in the Beatles because of my dad, but that really kind of took me to the next level of, of John Lennon and, and Beatles fandom. 
And think about it. It's no different than on the Olympics. You watch the Olympics and you don't really care about the people until they do that little human interest blurb. And all of a sudden now you're rooting for the person. Right. It's kind of like that. I mean, music takes on a different dimension when you know the life story of the artists and stuff that they went through and struggled with. Okay. So she was a Carpenters fan way before me after seeing this. In fact, she still occasionally brings it up on YouTube or whatever and we watch it. (laughs) It's not bad. It really isn't bad for an 80s miniseries uh, for a biopic. Um, the chorus, and this is brought up in the movie. In fact, this is a bit of movie trivia that my wife told me back in college. Was um, uh, actually from a bank commercial. Yes, it makes if you know the lyrics to the song, that makes perfect yes. sense. Richard yeah. Carpenter, and did I already say the name? I didn't. Did I, I probably haven't said the name of the song, have I? No. We've only just begun <laughs> from nineteen seventy from the album Close to You. Just begun to live white lace and promises, a kiss for luck, and we're on our way. We've only begun. Richard Carpenter was just hanging out one night, I guess, in his house, and he was falling asleep, and a commercial came on for a bank, and he kind of sat up in bed and was instantly awake, and was like, wow, that is, that's a great, like, I want to find this song, and I want to record it. And so he, you know, contacted whoever had the publishing rights for the song. Well, it turns out it had never been recorded. There was a full song. But the the melody, the chorus, was the only thing that had ever been recorded, and it was only recorded for the commercial. Otherwise, it didn't exist. So he bought the rights to that chorus and then wrote the rest of the song around it. Hmm. Yeah. It went to uh, number two on Billboard, and it's one of the band's most recognizable and uh, and biggest hits. The uh, song actually has a video as well. Yeah, which really? was used in a television special in 1971. So again, it's kind of like the Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, videos didn't exist as they, they did, you know, in the 80s and 90s, specifically for MTV. But, you know, there were the, I, I call them promotional films, right? Where they would film the band playing or maybe it was conceptual and then they would show them, you know, talk shows or, or whatever. I don't know where they would show them specials like this in this case. Hmm. Um, this is such a beautiful song. Um, well, I think a lot of people overlook it because it's such a big song. Um, and my wife's favorite song by them is Superstar. Oh, yeah. But again, it, it doesn't fit. Like right. the first list she had were all these great songs, um, but in her favorite songs, but they didn't fit the theme, you know. So she was able to find songs that she likes a lot that fit the theme from artists that she likes. Um, 
there's just nothing comparable to her voice. I mean, oh, it's yeah. just one of the greatest voices of all time. Yeah, we've talked about that several times. Yep. Karen yep. was incredible. All right. All right. Um, well, this is the newest, uh, the most recent of all of Gail's picks. Her next one is Dandelions. It's by Ruth B., which came out in 2017. what she says she says i remember as a little girl wishing on dandelions she said i did wish for love but those wishes were fueled by disney princesses i did not understand the gravity of love of course but i understood the magic for me this song is reminiscent of childhood innocence a worldview untainted by heartbreak when something so simple as blowing dandelions and making a wish gave promise to happily ever after is what she said um and then, yeah, it's been a long Western tradition. We all know that children especially use dandelions as a wishing agent because, you know, the wind sweeps away their tiny seed heads and children blow on the flower and think of a wish they want to come true. Here, Ruth B., the artist, she imagines herself in a field of dandelions blowing the seeds away. Uh, she hopes and prays her crush will reciprocate her feelings and become her lover. Uh, Ruth B. wrote the song after looking out of the window and seeing... A dandelion, I guess. It was that simple. Uh, she told um, Nylon that a f- that basically uh, a couple of nights previously, she had watched an interview with Sia, who discussed her songwriting process. Uh, the Australian singer said that one of the best ways to write, uh, to write is to pick a pretty word and to write around that. So Ruth uh, B. thought, wow, dandelion is a pretty, really pretty word. I should write around that. And she recorded the song for her debut album, Safe Haven, releasing it as the second and final promotional single in April of 2017. Now, the song and the album really went nowhere. Until five years later, in 2022, Dandelion entered the UK singles chart after going viral on TikTok. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> yep. Another TikTok TikTok song. brought this song back from the dead, and it is everywhere now. Gail listens to The Pulse on Sirius XM. It's not one of my stations, but that her, she listens to current music, and she's always on The Pulse. And um, this song is just, I mean, it, it's everywhere. And since she shared it with me and since I've heard it, I'm hearing it everywhere. So, yeah, the viral 
viral activity on TikTok is a very it's real, like the Shangri Las getting yeah, popular. Ex- yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, basically, you know, and, and then I stopped to wonder how many songs are about dandelions. So I actually I looked it up and I could only find I think it's five six. Surprise! Are that many? Yeah, in '67, the Rolling Stones released probably the best-known song, simply titled "Dandelion," um, where they allude to the flower's supposed magical properties. Uh, "Suck It and See" by the Arctic Monkeys um, mentions dandelions. "Curtains" by Elton John. Uh, I held a dandelion that said the time had come to leave upon the wind, not to return. "Silver" by Blink One Eighty Two. "Eagle on a Pole" by Connor Oberst, who I don't even know who mm-hmm. that is, uh, and then um, Thoughtful by Cody Simpson. Th- that's it. Those are all the songs I could find that make any reference to dandelions. So, Interesting. Yeah. So I'm glad we'd never have tried to do a dandelions mixtape. You're teasing me for spring here, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Because when the dandelions I'm pop sorry. out, I know that's when the weather starts to Yeah, but then you, nice. then you have to weed your yard. And, oh, you know. I don't. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have somebody that paid to do that. There you go. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got tired of fighting him for 30 years. All right. Uh, my last one. And uh, we just talked about Doll Contemporary, and this is when Phil Collins kind of began to kind of cross over, not quite completely disnified yet, but... Um, there's a lot of really good stuff on this record. The album is But Seriously. It came out in 1989, um, and the song is Find a Way to My Heart. going back to the first mixtape I ever made for her and that's my favorite one I think that's because it was the first one it's when those feelings and infatuation were so new Mm -hmm. and these songs meant so much and it was like the only in my mind perfectly curated mixtape I ever made and I think the fact that I keep alluding to it and the fact that I keep remembering it in fact funny I went through as as a gift for her once uh, I got her Spotify account, and I went through and I found all the mixtapes I'd made. She still has them, and I, of course, painstakingly wrote out all the, you know, songs oh, yeah. in yeah. the card. And so I went through and I made a playlist to match every single mixtape I made her. Very cool. And going through it was really interesting to see choices I made and so forth. And this one was just pff, knocked it out of the park. It opened up with, and I, I mentioned this on a previous broadcast. Do you believe in love? By Hugh Lewis in the News, which is a Perfect song and would have been a good one for this because it's about the beginning of a relationship, but we already used it. Right. So instead, I went to the very last song. And, and again, it would make sense because this is when I was falling in love, right? So all these songs on this 
uh, one mixtape made a lot of sense. Um, the song, which which closes also closes out Collins' record, was never a single, which really really surprised me. Now I understand the record produced six singles, four of which made it to the Billboard Top Ten. So highly commercial record. Songs like I think I wish it would rain down. Something happened on the way to heaven. Another day in paradise. Another day in paradise. Yeah, yeah. There are a ton of stuff uh, on here, but this song probably is my favorite on the entire record. And it starts with this kind of like semi-Latin rhythm that kind of slowly fades in. Just that worth the price of admission. But then lyrically, you know, there's, there's a lot of Phil Collins on the tapes that I made her because he writes a lot, other than the heartbreak stuff, we know Phil Collins writes a lot about heartbreak because right. of what happened with his wife. Yeah. But there's also a lot about young love. There's another song on here that wasn't a single called Father to Son. That is my favorite song on the, on the it's, album. It's so good. Yeah. And, it's a, and I think, did we play it on our Father's I'm Day episode? pretty sure yeah. we did, yeah. Where a father is kind of giving advice to his teenage son about falling in love, which yeah. would have been another one that fit, but we've already used it. Um, but this one is great. Find a way to my heart, and I'll always be with you. It, it's just this idea, this commitment at the beginning of a relationship to stand by the other person. Love it. Love yep. it. Um, every time I hear the song, it takes me back to 91 when my, my, wife, my love for my wife was kindled and continued to grow stronger and stronger as the years moved on. See, now I'm, I'm so jealous because I, 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 of course, made all the mixtapes for Gail, too. Um, I god an ungodly amount of mixtapes um she she's made me you know mixtapes here and there too um but she didn't pick any of the songs that i put on her mixtapes for, <laughs> for for this um in fact she the mixtapes she has made for me she didn't pick any of the songs from the mixtapes made for me for this uh particular playlist either so hmm now i'm hmm anyway so she did however pick fleetwood mac Ah, yes. Yeah, who doesn't love Fleetwood oh, yeah. Mac? Um, I can't her, be friends with you if you don't like Fleetwood yeah, Mac. Exactly, <laughs> right? So yeah, song number 12. Uh, she chose Say You Love Me uh, from Fleetwood Mac's self-titled her explanation she said i picked this one because i like how it is a beat it makes you really connect with and feel the effects of falling in love she said stevie nicks may have been the premier voice but christine mcvee was the one who knew how to craft a pop masterpiece mm-hmm. and she said the butterflies and the tingles and the fun and the excitement of falling in love and rushing in headfirst and enjoying those feelings that is what this song is all about so, I'm really impressed by what she actually said about the songs, too. I should let her just take over my 
my role in the You can the substitute punt if you can't. She make really it. could. Yeah, yeah. She's damn good at this. I'm <laughs> like, kind of, hmm. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Christy McVie, she's, I, Gail's right. Uh, she wrote this song. She sang lead, and she always really did have that talent for writing catchy love songs. She was the Paul McCartney of the band, right? Um, and, and her songs always, for me, they always bring a smile to your face. I mean, they just, she just has that had. Sadly, we lost her last year. She just had that that knack. Um, and uh, drummer Mick Fleetwood said that she always uh, found such novel ways to say, I love you. Uh, in Say You Love Me, uh, she's looking forward to a night alone with her guy. At the time, she was married to John McVie, the bass player in the group. And of course, they split the following year because everyone knows the history of the relationships of this band. Um, like most Christine McVie's memorable songs, this one came to her quickly. She wrote it in 74 in the apartment that she and John shared in Malibu, California. Uh, Christine had an electric piano and a view of the Pacific Ocean, and the song just came to her. Um, this is part of Fleetwood Mac's 1975 self-titled album. It was the first of the albums with new additions, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. And according to Christine McVie, it was one of the first songs they rehearsed together, and she said it was magic especially when Buckingham came in on the harmonies. Uh, she knew this new lineup would be special. She was right, of course. And in the previous few years, um, the band went through several different lineups. I mean, they were a blues band mm -hmm. initially. Um, and none of those delivered at the box office. So Fleetwood Mac, of course, this album went to number one in America. It contained Rhiannon, contained Landslide. It was huge. Um, the song... Uh, Say You Love Me, it was a, it was a live favorite of the band. Uh, it was always a crowd pleaser. In fact, um, when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002, it was one of the three songs that they performed. And if you ever get the chance to listen to the dance, um, the live album mm -hmm. for the dance, Lindsey Buckingham, he rearranges it almost with a blue, bluegrass flair. He plays mm. it on the banjo, a new, uh, a new arrangement of it. Love that version, too. But... Yeah, I, I, I thought she ended with a perfect pick. Yeah, so. she's got You Make Love and Fun. She's got um, Tell Me Lies. Tell Me Lies. Um, um, but the song I like most from her does not fit the category. Songbird? No. No. Oh, Daddy. Oh, yeah. Oh, Daddy's a real atmospheric kind of, no, oh, I'll yeah. say dirge, but it's it's. I love that song because it's just... It's something. It reminds me of fall for some reason. Yeah. No, it's. Yeah, I don't know why I said songbird. Songbird would fit perfectly. <laughs> but, but uh, oh, daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, it's one of the deep tracks on on um, rumors. Yeah, it is. Um, hmm. Rumors, which I still stand by. I think is the best pop record ever made. Oh, it is. It is. I think the only I, the only rival it probably has is being on the run. Um, in terms of every song just yeah. being, you right. know. But yeah, nothing beats rumors I mean and that to me rumors is the perfect autumn album mm -hmm. if you put that on while yeah. you're driving in the autumn yeah it is just it, it's like it was meant yeah, to be I agree be. I agree completely. so yeah um, especially since um, well, what's the what's the the first song I forget the name of it the, the uh, not 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 song yeah it was uh, <laughs> secondhand news secondhand news yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah it's just great great album don't don't stop believing. Oh yeah. Don't, don't stop, stop believing. Don't stop. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go your own way. Go your own gold, way. Gold dust woman. And oh, what's the, the one? The chain. The um, chain. Oh, um, and there's another one that's kind of a pop song. I don't know if it was a single, but SNL built a sketch around it. Um, what else is on the album? Um, 
I'm blanking. I it was, I know every song on the album. Oh, well. Songbird, which yeah, I just said. Yeah. Um, it was a Lindsay Buckingham. You, you make loving fun. No, that, no, no, wasn't it? All right, no, I'm look it up now. Um, yeah. So, what else is on that album? So the album. Had, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a real, real dreams. Ba- real uh, bouncing. Oh yeah, of course. How the hell can we forget dreams? Yeah. <laughs> Never going back again. Um, you make loving fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it is. Uh, I don't want to know. Daddy go to woman. Yeah. Huh. No, it is. It is one of. It is probably. It, it is it's the greatest pop album I think they ever created by four people who could not stand to be in the same room together. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they're, who their knew? Creative tension. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. We have to sequence this mixtape. So, we will be back. All right. So, our mixtape, The Wives' Picks, here we go. Side A begins with Queen, Crazy Little Thing Called Love. That goes into Your Smiling Face by James Taylor, followed by Today by Joshua Radin, Want To by Sugarland, followed by Something to Talk About by Bonnie Rayet, The Ghost That Haunt Me by Crash Test Dummies, I Could Fall in Love by Selena, Daydreaming by Aretha Franklin, After All by Cher and Peter Cetera, All My Life by Casey and JoJo, Dandelions by Ruth B., and we end Side A with Say You Love Me by Fleetwood Mac. Side B. We begin with Fallen by Alicia Keys. That goes into I'm Kissing You by Desiree, and then again by Janet Jackson. Suspended in Time by Olivia Newton-John. We've Only Just Begun by The Carpenters. That leads into Crazy for You by Scars on 45, Find a Way to My Heart by Phil Collins, followed by Follow You Down by the Jim Blossoms, Mayor of Simple Town by XTC, The Longest Time by Billy Joel, that goes to All the Way by the Indigo Girls, and we end side B, we end our mixtape with Love in the Library by Jimmy Buffett. See, we were able to do it. We, we did. Pulled it off. We did. Oh, um, the Carpenters, they, ju- they just have that orchestral sure. lean in. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it would be difficult. Um, and it, it was a little bit, but um, Living Newton-John was a nice counterpoint, though, to yeah. fade in. Um, no, I... The wives did well. They did. They did a fantastic job. I'm, I'm... I don't know. I'm really impressed. It was a cool experiment. Not that I ever thought they couldn't. No, I know, yeah. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> don't want to give that, you know, um, that impression, but, yeah, no, I, I just... This is a great Valentine's Day Mixtape. Now the question is, what are we going to call it? Oh yeah, good question. Sometimes we forget. To we do forget that. to do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, and we have "I Could Fall in Love," which is probably the easiest. Um, "Say You Love Me." Crazy for you. Crazy for you. Um, fallen. Um, I don't know. I'll let you pick it. Let me pick it. Oh boy. Um, Let's go. Oh, hell, let's just go with Alicia Keys. We'll just go Fallen. Okay, yeah. That work? Yeah. All right. Good. So that then is the last you'll hear from us until May, folks. Our little little midwinter reminder that we are still here <laughs> and we'll be back. And so I'll be really excited next time you hear from us because that means spring is here. And, yes. You know, winter is just whatever. It's a. Uh, it's just <laughs> it dark, just get harder and harder dark and, and cold and slushy. Yeah, I am. Uh, 
when of course over Christmas it was certainly a white Christmas that was uh-huh. a yeah. hell of a storm but now you know I we're mean, almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. Hell, the week after Christmas, it was like 65 degrees outside. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, no. well, you know, climate change. Bipolar um, weather in Ohio. <laughs> so, anyway, folks, we will be back in May. Uh, I got nothing left. Um, yeah, just, you know, since we're not putting out regular episodes, that would be a perfect time for you to uh, go back and listen to maybe old ones that you haven't listened to. Um, write a review for us. Um, oh, yeah. Reviews are very, very helpful. Check out our website where we also have the links to the playlist from every single episode as well as mentioned songs. And feel free to drop us a line through the social media, um, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. As long as Twitter stays around, who knows oh, yeah. <laughs> right. what's going on with that. And, um, and you could just email us at uh, genxmixtapepodcast at gmail.com. Well, and I was going to say, too. Um, or is it podcast at Gen X? It's just podcast. Podcast at, Gen, at Gen X Mixtape.com. Yeah, because we bought the... Sorry, yeah, we yeah, changed it. Changed the domain. Um, what I was going to say, though, is if you like what we do, maybe take this opportunity to share us with a friend. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm... If everybody would pick that. one friend, they would double our audience. They would? Well, we cannot complain. No, we can't Because complain. literally, in our third season, we had 22,000... 500 downloads. Yeah. Which we, for a couple of amateurs like us. Oh yeah. Well that I, I did the math that that averages over 3200 average. Yeah. 3200 downloads per month. Yeah. That means every month we had more downloads than we had in our first two seasons combined. Wow. Because we were at just over 3000 when season three began. So again I can't say this enough. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean at one point we were number three on the iTunes music commentary yeah. chart. Yeah, I, I, you have been, our listeners are, you, you made all the difference. I mean, it's, it has been an honor to do this with you and for you. And, uh, you know, if you do drop us a line, right now we're trying to figure out what our themes will be in season four. So if you have any ideas, share them with us. Yeah, we, we got to go back. Some people have suggested yeah, some. Yeah, there have been a few. Have, yeah. you, put, have you put them down on the list? Uh, yeah, they're oh, okay, down on good. the list. Yeah. yeah. I Right now I have a list of, well, I have far more choices than we have episodes. So I'm not sure what we'll do, but... Um, always looking for more. So please, uh, you know. Maybe that's what we should do for Father's Day this year is let our kids pick. That would be interesting. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I can see other. where that could go terribly wrong, but <laughs> it also could be a whole hell of a lot of fun. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's exit. All right, here we go. That's all for uh, our special episode, Hot Fun Cool Punk, Even If It's Old Junk, Another Mix of Memories Awaits This Spring. But for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. Sitting in a box undigified, gonna rewind and give them one more try. Think about the days of lo-fi mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet but some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out If you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the 
speaker turn the volume to nine there's an accidental slice of time Of time. 